Hey, uh, thanks for being here. If this is your first time this morning at MCC, I uh, really appreciate you being here. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are watching us online, thanks for joining us there. And if you live in our area and are able to, I hope you'll join us here uh, sometime soon as well. We, we've been walking through, as Adam just mentioned, the story of Jonah to see not just what God would say to a prophet or through a prophet, back then, but to see what he's saying in our lives and how it affects our faith today. And in case you didn't know, on Wednesday nights, we get back together in this room. It looks different. Uh, we have round tables. We're sitting in groups of six to eight to ten people and talking a little bit more about what we're talking about this morning, asking questions, applying it to life. And so uh, if you're able, it's not too late uh, to be part of that as well. Hope you'll join us this Wednesday night from 630 to 8. That's great. So, all right. So we're going to get everyone caught up. So we're all starting at the same place. God wanted his prophet named Jonah to go to a city named Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at that time, which, by the way, Assyria was the most hated, most feared enemies of the Israelites. So Jonah didn't want to go. He hops on a boat, uh, headed to Tarshish, the complete opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. It would be as if God were saying, hey, would you go to Angle Inlet up here in Minnesota? And, and Jonah would say, no, how about Laredo, Texas down here? I'd like to go down there uh, instead. Actually, it'd be, it's a whole lot worse than that. Uh, some scholars speculate that it would be over a year's travel to get where Jonah uh, was headed. He wanted to get away from God. And verse 3 makes that very clear to us that when Jonah got on the boat, his hope was to escape from the presence of of God. And there are some subtle lessons for us in the book of Jonah, some that we've already seen. I'll just remind you of. Uh, the first one is when God calls you to go somewhere, just see, there's always a boat going in the opposite direction, right? When God says, I want you to go over here, there's always something headed that direction, right? If you're supposed to go here, you can always go there. I don't know if you found that to be true in your life uh, or not, but God is not going to let Jonah run and hide. He just loves him too much. And so he shows up, God shows up in the power of a storm, and I want to remind you of this as well, sometimes God will send a storm to get your attention. And that, listen, that's not to pay you, but this isn't punishment, it's not to pay you back, he's hoping to get your attention to bring you back to him. And all the sailors on the boat, they find out what Jonah has done, and that the storm is his fault. And they end up throwing him overboard. And to be very clear, that was Jonah's idea, not theirs, right? They asked him what they should do. And so Jonah says, throw me over and everything will calm down. But what we find out next is that Jonah's worst nightmare is exactly what he needed. And sometimes it might be fair to say in life it is for us as well. God uses what we fear the most to draw us back to him. So that's what's happening uh, with Jonah, and it's where we left him last week. So in verse 15, what we find out is that Jonah is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea somewhere, and he's sinking. I don't know if you can imagine that. He sees in the distance, because now the water is calm, right? And he sees the boat getting smaller and smaller as it goes off into the distance, and his legs begin to get tired, and he's treading water, and he finally begins to sink. As he's going down, he's alone, he's abandoned, he's cold, he's wet, and this is it. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been caught underwater. 
I've been caught in a riptide. I uh, was very close to shore, thankfully. I wasn't far out at all, but I couldn't find the bottom. I was being spun around. I couldn't find the bottom. So I, I knew I was in shallow water. All I had to do was push up, and I would be fine, but I couldn't find where the bottom was. And I was running out of air. There was panic. And uh, I knew, right, I don't have that much air left. If something doesn't happen here pretty quickly, if I don't somehow get out of this thing, it's not going to go well. And if you're not careful, your panic can be your undoing. It's a pretty scary thing uh, to not be able to get out. And I imagine that's what's going through Jonah's mind as he sinks further into the water and the ocean is swallowing him up. And this prodigal prophet, he is preparing at that moment to meet his maker. But instead, he meets Jaws. Uh, that's verse 17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, there are two stories that are going on in the story of Jonah. The first is a fish story, which, by the way, a lot of critics, a lot of skeptics who have a hard time swallowing the fish story. Is there a great fish large enough to swallow a man whole that has a stomach big enough for a man to survive for a few days? Now, there are, uh, uh, this, this great fish may not have been a whale. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word used here is not the word that's used in Job when he talks about a great sea monster, Leviathan. That's not the word that's mentioned here, but we're told it's a huge fish. And the word that we translate belly, that's not exactly what that word means. It simply implies a place that is completely engulfed in the fish. Now, some believe that he was in the oral cavity of a fish and a whale being a warm uh, blooded, uh, oxygen-breathing mammal periodically surfaces, which would have provided Jonah with much-needed oxygen, right? While the inside body heat would have prevented hypothermia. I don't know if that helps you or not. I don't know if that gives you some confidence in this story or not, because maybe people have asked you and said, seriously, Jonah, the whale guy, you believe that? serious. Maybe you're like the Christian lady who had to do a lot of traveling for her business, and so she did a lot of flying, which made her nervous. She didn't really like flying, and so she would take her Bible and read it to kind of calm her nerves, especially like during takeoff and landing. I mean, it's really tense. Uh, one time she was sitting next to a guy, and when he saw her pull out her Bible, he did, he, maybe you've got, he's, you know, shook his head a little bit, laughed a little bit at her, and went back to what he was doing, but a little bit later, he turned to her and said, you don't, you don't really believe all that stuff, right? She said, in the Bible? Yeah, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. And he said, well, what about that guy that was swallowed by a whale? Oh, Jonah? Yeah, that story's in the Bible. Yeah, I believe that. He said, well, how do you suppose he survived all that time inside that whale? She said, I really don't know for sure. When I get to heaven, I'll have to ask him. And he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? She said, then you can ask him. Um <laughs> Not suggesting that's how you handle that situation. I'm just telling you, you know. And I don't really know how this whole thing works. But there are some things you just cannot prove or disprove. They are called supernatural miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea, like the walls of Jericho falling from the inside, like manna from heaven, like the sun standing still, like feeding of the 5,000 or walking on water or the calming of the storm or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. They lie within the supernatural now, in case you're wondering, all of these were viewed by eyewitnesses who would go on to later talk about them uh, and pass these stories on from generation to generation, not as fables, not as tall tales, but as facts that they witnessed. The Apostle Peter would say, for we were 
We're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. The Apostle John, when he would write, he said, We proclaim to you the one who has existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. But there's one reason, beyond all others, I believe this story to be true. Jesus makes reference to this as if it's a fact. In Matthew 12, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, Jesus is foreshadowing his own death and burial and then resurrection. And everyone in the crowd he was talking to, they already knew the miraculous story of Jonah. But they would soon experience the miraculous story of Jesus' raising. And if Jesus looked at this story as truth, I'm just telling you, I'm going to consider it a fact. Now, Mike Bro said, listen, don't believe, don't believe in the miraculous. Look around the room. Not only do our bodies prove that God is a miracle worker, but that God has a sense of humor. He said, think about your body. Ten trillion cells divided up into 200 different types. 42 miles of nerves in your skin alone. You create 25,000 quarts of spit in your lifetime. That's enough to fill two swimming pools. So when anyone asks you what you talked about in church... Right there you go, all right? You produce enough iron to make a three-inch nail, sulfur to kill all the fleas on an average dog, carbon to make 900 pencils, potassium to fire a toy cannon, fat to make seven bars of soap, phosphorus to make 200 or 2,200 match heads, and water to fill a 10-gallon tank. There are 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. Our blood travels 12,000 miles a day. Your heart beats 35 million times a year. And in the average lifetime, it pumps 1 million barrels of blood, enough to fill three super tankers. And if you removed it from your body, the small intestines would stretch 22 to 23 feet in length. The one who made you, is the one who spoke the world into existence. Same one who made lightning bugs. The one who made DNA. Who set the ocean tides to the lunar schedule. The designer of photosynthesis. The one who flung the stars into the sky. And actually knows them all by name. Listen, he could arrange, if he wanted, for a great fish whom he created. To change its migration pattern. To show up at just the right second to scoop up one of his kids. If that's what he wanted. That's the fish story uh, that most of us think of when we think of the story of Jonah. But the story of Jonah isn't about a fish. The story of Jonah is about a prophet. As a matter of fact, John Carlyle, Thomas John Carlyle wrote this. It should be on your handout. I was so obsessed with what was going on inside the whale that I missed the drama going on inside Jonah. And maybe that's you as well. I mean, the part that we remember about this, everybody knows about the fish. But the part that we live is the faith story. And someone in here may be thinking to themselves, I don't, I don't have a faith story. To which I would pull out every bit of French that I know and say, au contraire, right? Uh, listen, um, for, for others, listen, for some of us here, we are believers who at times say no to what God is calling us to in our lives. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But that's what this story is a reminder of. A believer who says no to what God is calling him to. But others of us... We've never made that commitment to follow God. Drew mentioned that in a prayer earlier. But what I want to know is that if, if that's where you are, what God hopes more than anything for you today 
is that today becomes the beginning steps of your faith story, that they're being written right now. And even though Jonah is inside the belly of a fish, in Jonah chapter 2, the central theme of the verses deals with what's going on inside of him. So in chapter 1, verse 17, kind of where we left off last week, the fish swallows Jonah. In chapter 2, verse 10, the fish spits Jonah out. And between going into the fish and coming out of the fish, uh, we have this poetic prayer. And it kind of reads like a psalm of praise. Actually, Jonah steals some of the words. He quotes verses from the psalms in this prayer. Look at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And we're going to drop down to verse 7 if your Bible is open. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So what's going on inside Jonah? If you zero in on verse 7, take a look at that. I remembered you. So there's this Hebrew flavor to this English word that we miss. Uh, when he says, I remembered you, it goes far beyond meaning I had this reminiscent thought of something, right? In the original Hebrew language, it carried this idea of remembering the Lord and returning to the, the Lord. Moses and the prophets were always saying to the Israelites, pleading with them to remember the Lord. And it wasn't just remember, but it was remember and return to him. There's this, it's deeper than a stroll down memory lane in order to think about, you know, the good old days. I realized I was far from God, and I needed to return to him. So on your notes, two thoughts that drew Jonah back to God. And here's the first one. Like Jonah, and I want to make sure you get this, like Jonah, God has not abandoned me. Because there are some that you know, there are people in our culture who believe God has abandoned them. And many think that this fish is how God punished Jonah. On the contrary, this fish is how he saved his life. He was sinking. He said in verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I cried out to God, and he answered me. I called, and you heard me. Listen, Jonah's in a downward spiral of decisions. He's going down, and it's his own fault. He's the one who went down to Joppa to get on a boat going the opposite direction. When he got on the boat, he's the one who went down into the bottom of the boat and fell asleep. And now he's in the water and he's sinking down into the sea. Verse 6 says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. And I just want to say, when we are left to our own devices, and some of you already know this, but we're going down too. And Jonah, in essence, said, forget you, God. And then he called out to God, and God answered him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that for you, by the way? If you've ever said, in not so many words, that to God, why would he respond to you when you call to him? Psalm chapter 50 says this, Pray to me in times of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. And I wonder how many of us would agree that even though you may not see him, God was at work in the darkness of your life. Even when it was overwhelming, even when you were feeling desperate, God was at work that he was with you, even at times when you didn't sense it, that he has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He hasn't written you off just because you ran away from him. He's not left you to drown. He's actually with you in the water, and he is working in the dark. See, here's the thing we need to make sure we catch. God loved Jonah even in the middle of his disobedience. 
He spoke to a fish and said, go get him. And the fish went and got him. And the God of second chances is the one who pulled this off because Jonah deserved death. And God showed him extraordinary mercy, which leads, by the way, to the next step, maybe for some of us in our faith journey today, like Jonah, I need to come clean with God. I need to fess up. You ever been in a dark place or a dark time in your life and come face to face with who you are and how things are actually going in your life? You are forced to face that and how you're doing with the relationships with God and with those around you. Sometimes when you realize that you are in a dark place, that's actually the best place you can be at that moment because we have to respond to it. Now, there are different ways to respond, right, on your notes. Sometimes we can go into denial Running from, I'm not running from God. Running from God. I'm, your, your mom's running from God. I'm not running from God. I don't have a problem. I'm not even sure God exists. How in the world can I, how can you expect me to follow a God I'm not even sure I believe in, right? I mean, we can go into denial or we can become defensive. That's not, I know I'm running, but, but, but God, let me give you some reasons. Listen, I'm a good person. I volunteered at Threads once last year for an hour. I'm good. Let me t- listen, let me tell you about the things I do. I'm not running from you. I've got all of these things. I help, I help people. I tell people I'm going to pray for them. Uh, listen, I, I'm, and we defend ourselves. Or we can, be, we can deflect. Instead of taking responsibility for our actions, I make it someone else's fault. I mean, did you see the family I grew up in? Do you know the stories of my childhood? It is not my fault. My, you want to blame somebody for me, you blame my parents. For my, listen, do you, have you met my spouse? Do you know what it's like to live with them? Have you seen my kids? Listen, it's the coach when I was, I, it was a coach that, or it was my friend. It's the, the, when the economy went down, listen, everybody responded this way when the economy tanked. It's, it's, it's that, that church I went to, it's that church's fault. It's the school's fault. It's everybody's fault, but your fault, right? We can, become, we can get distracted as well. And it's, instead of dealing with it, I just get busy. But chapter 2 is Jonah dealing with it. Because it's hard to get distracted while you're stuck in a fish waiting to be digested, right? I mean, you can't go out in the backyard and hit golf balls, right? You can't get up on a ladder and, and paint the house. And the reality is we live in a very addictive society, whether it's eating or drinking or drugging or working or watching your favorite sports teams. Listen, you can get distracted pretty, pretty easily. Or you can do what, jo- do what Jonah did, and you can come clean. Because we're told at the end of the New Testament, if we will claim to be without sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Bob Russell is a pastor who retired in Kentucky. Uh, He says, when I was in ministry, a man came into my office with a sack of marijuana. That was about $50 worth. And he told Bob, I've been smoking this three times a day, every day, and it's destroying me. So I'm giving this to you as a pledge, kind of a a, a pact together that I'm not going to do this anymore. I want you to get rid of it. And Bob said, you know, when he left my office... I was incredibly proud of that guy. And then I realized I had $50 worth of marijuana (laughs) in my office. I didn't think it was a good idea to burn it, probably right there. So I stuck it in my coat and I went down the hallway praying I would not have a heart attack before I got rid of it. (laughs) And then he asked this question that I thought was a great question. And I thought, for some of us here, it's our next step. Is there a sack of goodies you need to get rid of? 
Let me ask it another way. In your life, do you have anything you need to come clean about? You have something going on in your life right now that you are just not being honest with God about. You're hoping to hide it from him. Maybe he's not looking, right, trying to hide from God. This is the whole story of Jonah. Or, or you're trying to deflect it, defend it. You, look at what Jonah said. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The contemporary English version says it this way. All who worship worthless idols turn from the God who offers them mercy. And when I create a substitute for God, I turn my back on God's mercy. When I don't tell him the truth, when I pretend it's not there, when I've got my bag of goodies and I'm not willing to turn those in, I am forfeiting the grace of God. Brandon Manning, Brandon Manning wrote it this way. It's on your notes. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness so that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and then sing and dance in the compassion of God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. If this story teaches us nothing other than this, it does teach us that God's grace can run, it can reach further than we can possibly run. And this has been the psalm for many whose lives have been shipwrecked, who are at the end of their rope, for whom the bottom has dropped out of their life. And maybe it's because they've lost a loved one. Or maybe it's because they lost a job. Or maybe it's because they experienced a breakup in a marriage. And like Jonah, whatever they're experiencing, whatever you may be experiencing, listen, maybe it's been of your own making. And people wonder, could God ever love someone like me on your notes grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I could do to make God love me less it means that I even I who deserve the opposite am invited to take place at the table in God's family so let me ask what's your fish story how has God rescued you maybe 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 it wasn't a fish that came by but maybe he arranged for a friend to come by. And he got someone to come alongside you, invited you to AA. And that was the day that you began to be saved. Or you received a phone call from out of the blue and someone said, I don't even know why you were just on my heart and I thought I'd give you a call. Or maybe someone turned you on to a podcast or a book that was exactly what you needed to hear and that started your rescue or maybe you went on a mission trip and learned to live beyond yourself. Or maybe you were sitting in a church service just like this one. And whatever was being said, it was almost as if you were the only person in the room and God was talking directly to you through his word. And that's when God reached down and rescued you. Listen, that's what Jonah is, that's what the story is really about. It's about a God who when we run away from him, he pursues us. He not only doesn't abandon us, but he chases us, and then all he calls us to do is to come clean and turn back to him. And today, in case you're wondering, today can be that day for you. Because for some of us in the room, we are followers of Jesus. And just like this prophet of God, we need to come clean. There's something going on in our life right now that we know doesn't line up with what God says, what he wants, what he hopes and dreams for in our lives. 
We know it. And it's time to come clean. And you can do that today, right where you sit. Or as someone who had no idea how much God loves you, maybe you came in here today and you, I mean, I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here because someone said, I'll go to lunch, I'll take you to lunch if you come to church with me today. I don't know why you're here, but you're here and you had no idea how much God loves you. And you are hearing for the very first time in your lives, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're in the middle of doing right now, you're in the middle of it, you're up to your eyeballs in it right now in your life, he is calling to you today. And your next step is your first step. That is turning your life over to him and allowing him to make you right with him. And if that is you, I just want you to know, I will be right up here after the service today. I'll just stick around right up here. And if you want to talk, two folks came up at the end of the service last week. I had someone come up to me uh, this morning. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you. And so each week, because this is so important to us, so much a part of all of our stories, each week we remember that God pursued us through the cross. And in just a moment, we're going to hold the bread that represents his body that was broken on the cross for our sins, and then we're going to hold a cup that reminds us of, the, of his blood that was shed for us. And each week we complete this journey. Max Lucado talks about it on your notes. If there are a thousand steps between us and God, he will take all but one. He will leave the final one for us. And the choice is ours. So we stop because we want to give you that chance. And we'll take the bread and we'll take the juice and we will remember that he took all but one. And this time reminds us and recommits us to that step. Some of us, that some of us took prior in our lives and we said we want Jesus to be Lord of our lives. And this moment we recommit to that. And we say again, I commit myself to you. But for others who are here this morning, this may be the turning moment in your life to give yourself over to him because he's still chasing you. Maybe today, maybe today is the day he catches you. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for loving us so much. Sometimes we don't even love ourselves. We don't even like ourselves sometimes. And it makes it hard to believe that you would love us. Because the stories we hear about you being holy and pure. And that you would send Jesus to die because of sin. And we, sometimes we've been told or we think that that makes you mad at us. That we don't, we've missed the whole point of the cross. And we think you want to get even with us now. As opposed to the fact that you're chasing us down as a father trying as hard as you can to get to your kids who are in desperate need of you and yet we run and father there are some of us in the room who belong to you admittedly we've run this week we've done things that do not honor your name we, we've, we've been involved or we've had thoughts we've given consideration to what does not line up with your will and so father this is a time when we as your children get to come before you we do this every day as we wish. But God, we get to come before you together right now and confess our sins to you as we remember what Jesus did on the cross. And Father, for those who are still running, may today be the day they get caught by you in an embrace that will last for eternity because you love them so much. 
God, may this moment honor you as we remember and are drawn back to who you are. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave his life for ours.